Good morning. My name is Jamie Reinhardt, and I have the privilege this morning of reading our scripture passage for the day. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you later on what happened to my leg. I wish I had a great story like I was kicking a wild boar attacking my wife, but <laughs> nothing, nothing quite like that. But um, use the stool. hope that's okay with you. We have been praying at 9.03 and been getting, many of us have been getting a prayer prompt at 9.03 in uh, the morning. And beginning tomorrow, that is going to shift to our app. So if you would set an alarm on your phone or your watch or whatever and just go to the app at 903, you'll be able to continue to join with all the rest of our church in praying for specific things uh, each week. But go ahead and take your Bible and go to the passage that Jamie read for us, Philippians chapter 3. And while you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Is the Christian life easy or hard? Yeah, some of you are weaseling out saying both, yes. Turn to the person beside you, and is a Christian life easier or hard? Tell them what they think, what you think. Turn to the person beside you. You don't have to tell them how hard it is for you. <laughs> Becoming a Christian... Think about it, becoming a Christian is pretty simple. Now, it's hard for a lot of people, but it really is the genius of God to make being, becoming a Christian uh, fairly simple. It's the gospel that we are saved by grace, through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the message of the cross. But once you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to discover it's not as simple or as easy as I might have thought. Let me say, show you why I say that. There was a, uh, a well-known seminary, not a great distance from here, that asked their graduates to identify one area that they did not feel prepared for. They have spent three or four years studying the original languages of the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, church history, how to preach, uh, systematic theology. These are all pastors now who graduated from this seminary. And the question is, what area did you not feel like you had good instruction in? And the answer surprised the faculty. The answer was, how do you live the Christian life? And they're not the only ones asking that kind of a question. What it says to me is, no matter how much Bible you know, you may be a PhD in theology, or you may be a brand new Christian. You may be standing in front of everyone and, and trying to preach, or you may be sitting way on the back row because you're here for the first time. We all struggle to implement and practice what we know the Bible teaches. So let me just ask this question. How many of you, you're a Christian, how many of you are 
get tired, worn out? How many of you get discouraged from time to time? How many of you sometimes feel like you're in a fog, you're not sure what to do next? So becoming a Christian is something that is fairly simple, but acting as a Christian, living as a Christian can be very challenging sometimes. What if this week someone came up to you and said, you're a Christian, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, I am too. Could you answer this one question for me? How do you live the Christian life? What would you say? I had a friend who told me or asked me one time, said, could my wife come see you? I said, sure. So uh, uh, she came in and here's what she told me. Christianity does not work for me. It doesn't work for me. I don't feel the way you say that you feel. I don't think the way you say that Christians think. I I just don't know how to do this thing. And if you've ever felt tired or discouraged or you've ever felt like you were getting off the rails or the wheels were coming off, um, you weren't quite sure, or you're in a fog, if you ever felt like my friend's wife felt, Philippians chapter 3 is a real help for us. It gives us a handle on what it means to live as a Christian. So I want to read from the, uh, from the New International Version, which to me kind of helps clarify this. Let me just read this. I think it's on the screen. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says you can learn a lot about what it means to live as a Christian if you watch sports. Because he was a a master at using athletic imagery to inspire people and instruct people in how to live the Christian life. Now, we're not talking football. Football did not exist in the first century because beer commercials did not exist in the first century. (laughs) But the Greco-Roman games did. And in Philippi, there was a stadium, and the runners, one of the events, yearly, the runners would start at one end of the stadium, run to the other end of the stadium, and the winner of that race would walk up to what was called the Bema, the, the, the judgment seat, and the king or Caesar or whoever was in charge would give them a wreath that they could wear around their head, would pronounce the name of their father, would exempt them from certain taxes, and they would be honored all of that year. That was the prize that they received. Paul says that's like the Christian life. In fact, he uses words like press on, Forgetting what is behind, more than one Olympic event has been lost because the runner turned to look where the other competitors were. He uses the word straining, and you can see a runner uh, chest out, and and he's lengthening his stride, and he's going to break the ribbon with his chest, and his heart is burning, and his lungs are burning, and his legs are burning, and he is giving it all he has to get to the goal, to break the ribbon. Paul says, That's how I live. That's how followers of Christ should live. And then he says this, one thing I do, not 40 things I dabble at. I do, I focus on one thing, which means for a runner, there are tough choices to make if you want to win. You've you've got to watch your diet. You've got to get enough sleep. You've got to get a coach. You can't do everything. 
You kind of narrow the options for yourself. And I think it's important to understand why he is talking about straining and struggling and striving. It's not to get to heaven. Not to get to heaven. So how do you know that? Well, the same apostle who wrote this wrote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works lest anyone should boast. So we don't win reconciliation with God by striving and working hard, uh, doing our best. It's a free gift of God that we just need to humbly accept, repent of our sins, put our faith in Christ. But unfortunately, some of the people Paul was writing to were thinking, all right, I'm now a follower of Christ. I'm now a Christian, so I can sit idly by on the stands until heaven opens up for me and I'm called to go there. And they're not the only ones who think that way. That'd be like getting married and saying to your new spouse, what's the minimum I have to do in this marriage? How little can I talk to you? How little do I have to listen to you? What's the minimum I can do in this relationship? That's not marriage. And that's not the Christian life. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be at all. In fact, the very verse after Paul talks about salvation is a free gift that we're given because of the grace of God. He says this in verse 10, for we are God's workmanships. That Greek word poema, which means masterpiece or where we get poem from. We're God's masterpiece, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, which is amazing to me that God prepared and he has in mind the race he wants me to run. And he knows exactly what I have to have to be able to do that race, the gifts, the talents, the mind to do what he's asked me uh, to do. So Paul says, you pursue the Christian life just like a runner who is a few yards from the ribbon. And you give it all that you've got. And all this raises questions like, well, what's the race? And what, what's the prize he's talking about? And what's motivating Paul? And he tells us in verse 12, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, I'm pressing on, and you look at different translations of the Bible, and, it, and it, they're, they're scrambling to try to understand what he means by take hold of. Christ Jesus took hold of me, so I'm trying to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. And some will say it means to pursue that because Christ has pursued me, or to grasp the reason why he grasped me, or seize or catch the reason why he caught me, take possession of it. I'm to make my own the reason why he made me his own. And Paul says that's the Christian life in a nutshell. The Christian life is response to what God has done for us in Christ and what he continues to do for us. All of life is a response to him, which means every day we're to wake up thinking, God chased me down, God took hold of me, and now I've got to figure out what was the reason for which he took hold of me. It's not to earn his love because you're already loved. It's not to get his blessing because you're already blessed in Christ. He says, I get to wake up every morning and I get to grasp and chase and pursue the reason why he chased and pursued me. Paul is convinced to the core of his being that when he was on that road to Damascus and Christ literally knocked him off his horse by a blinding light, 
that God had a purpose for calling him to himself. Listen to how he explains that purpose to King Agrippa when he makes a defense of his faith. He's talking about being on that lonely road to Damascus, and he says this, on one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the high priest about noon, King Agrippa. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. From the day of his conversion, Paul was convinced that when he was approached and apprehended and caught, pursued by Christ, that it was for a purpose. You remember last week when Slade was talking about the passage just ahead of this, and Paul said, my aim, my goal in life is to know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of the resurrection. And here's what Jesus says. Here's the reason why. Paul's race, Paul's goal was to know Christ and make him known. Everyone say that. Know Christ and make him known. And make him Yeah. And it was inconceivable to Paul that God would take hold of him so that Paul could sit idly by until he went to heaven. It's inconceivable that God would invest the blood of his son and the gifts that God gave him for Paul to sit idle as a believer. On the contrary, he believed that when God laid hold of him, he had a role for him to play, and that is the development of his church. That was Paul's race to run. And he ran it for the rest of his life with determination and with intentionality and with purpose. And I think it's fair to say that the same purpose for, for which God called him and took hold of him is the purpose that you and I have, to know Christ and to make him known. And just like with Paul, God has a specific race for us to run. And he knows exactly what it takes for us to run that race. Maybe for you, it could be feeding the poor or praying for others or comforting the sick or teaching children or leading a, a group or a ministry or a thousand other things. But whatever it is, Paul says this, figure out what the race is for which Christ laid hold of you and then arrange your life around fulfilling that purpose. Figure out the race, and it includes knowing Christ and making him known, Figure out the specific race to which Christ has called you and then arrange your life around that purpose. And it doesn't matter whether your race is in the spotlight and you stand on the stage or you're working behind the scenes and nobody ever knows. That doesn't matter. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, tells a story that I love. He talks about two angels that were given an assignment by the Lord. One angel's assignment was to sweep the dirtiest streets in the dirtiest town, in the dirtiest country of the planet. The other angel was given the assignment of ruling the most splendid kingdom 
on the most splendid throne with the most splendid subjects. And John Newton said this, it would be absolutely irrelevant to those angels which one of them got which assignment. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what race they're running. They're running the race as God called them to run. So the important thing is that we get ourselves aligned with God's purpose and whatever assignment He has given us that He wants us to fulfill. And here's what Paul is just trying to get, get the Philippians to, to, to ask themselves. Why did God lay hold of me? Why am I in this church right now? Of the 7 billion people on the planet, why did God lay hold of me and have me here now? And then once you have an idea about that, then you rearrange your life around fulfilling that purpose that he has. And Paul didn't hesitate at all to challenge believers in Philippi, and he doesn't hesitate to challenge us either. So I want you to look at three things that he says about the Christian life, this race that we're running. Here's the first thing. It's a lifelong deal. It's a lifelong project. Lifelong growth. And we're to run it till the end of our life. You don't get a prize in the middle of the race. You get a prize at the end of the race. In fact, he says in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And it caught my eye, brothers and sisters. Usually when Paul uses that expression, um, I need some help. Daryl, are you? Where are you? Uh, Slate, come on up here. You have no idea what's going to happen. Usually when Paul says brothers or sisters, it's at the beginning of a chapter or it's at the beginning of a letter Almost never is it in the middle of a paragraph, and it's like, boy, you're standing at attention here. It's like Paul is grabbing the people in Philippi by the ears and saying, listen, pay attention to me. Get this. Thank you. I got it, it, he says. Well, Paul is saying, this is so important. Brothers and sisters, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't figured it all out. I've not run my race. I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm satisfied with Jesus. I'm just not satisfied with my progress. Not at this point. He says, my goal is to know Christ. And it's going to take the rest of my life to do that. In fact, it's going to take all of eternity because Christ is infinite, eternal. I will never get to the end of knowing Christ. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I've got a lot more suffering to do, most likely, Paul is thinking. I think some of the hardest tests come at the end of the life, of your life, as the Lord is weaning you away from this world, preparing you for the next world. And Paul says, I've got more fellowship with Jesus in my sufferings than I've experienced yet. And he is saying, I don't fully know the power of his resurrection yet. I've not arrived. I haven't done it all. He said, as long as I'm here, I'm making progress And if there's one person left in the Roman Empire who has not heard of Christ, I want to get, that's my race, I'm going to get to that person. But he says, I've not arrived. And I want to say, you've not arrived. You've been a Christian 28 years. Paul, you wrote 13 books of the New Testament. You've planted churches all over the Roman world. You've not arrived. What What does that say about me? I'm not nearly where I want to be in 
where the Lord would have me to be. And Paul just says, keep running, keep running. And he says, I keep running into Christians who think they have arrived. And I do too. I was reading yesterday in my daily devotions on about in Isaiah 61, where Isaiah quotes the Lord and says, he's building oaks of righteousness. How long does it take to grow an oak tree? A big, strong oak tree, majestic oak tree that can survive wind and sun and drought because it keeps sinking its roots deeper and deeper into the nutrients of the soil. God is not about building mushrooms. The mushrooms are here and then they're gone. He's about building oaks of righteousness. And you don't do that in a day. And God is going to continue to work on us. Christ, by the Holy Spirit, will continue to work on us. And I wish that my growth was faster. I wish I were were quicker. God's normal course with us is slow and steady. His pace for godliness is more like climbing a mountain than flying a plane. But if you just keep taking one step in front of another, you can cross this country if you'll just put one step in front of another. God intends you to run your race and finish at your pace. He wants you to keep going one step at a time, one step at a time, one degree at a time. The scripture says as we, as we look at Jesus, we're reflected back to his glory and the transformation takes place degree by degree. So it's a lifelong thing to be a Christian. Here's the second thing. Single-minded focus. This one thing I do, and that those words I do are not in the original text that he wrote. He just says one. One. This one thing. Paul was so single-minded. Listen to these verses that we probably know from Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Or listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 16. When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I'm, I'm trying to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. And it's taking singular focus to do that. So he says, that means I'm forgetting the things that are behind. I don't live in the past. I don't carry around baggage from a year ago. I don't spend much time looking backwards because runners who look backwards in a race tend to lose the race. They tend to get distracted or off course. Have you ever seen an Olympic runner with a backpack or carrying luggage? No, I'm stripped down. I'm I'm focused. It's one thing. He says, I don't spend a whole lot of time with regrets because they're under the blood of Christ. In order to run, I have to just let go of something. So I ask this question. What do you need to let go of? What skeleton in the closet of your past? What do you need to let go of? What do you need just to move on? You know, for some of us, it's, it's things that people did to us. For some of us, it's the guilt and the shame of things that we have done. Skeletons in the closet. We're carrying them around like baggage. Maybe something was done by you. Maybe an abortion. Maybe a, an affair. Maybe theft. 
or sins done to you. You were betrayed. You were, you were divorced. And you just can't let go of the shame and the guilt and the brokenness. And Paul says you're in Christ, which means when Christ, when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees Jesus. You're swallowed up in Jesus. You're swallowed up in his forgiveness and his grace. You have been washed clean. That's the symbol of baptism. Before the Lord, you are washed clean. Who you are is not who you were 10 years ago or last year. You are who you are becoming and who you will be in the resurrection. The past does not define us. Sure, it influences us, but we are defined by the future if we're Christians. The best is yet to come, and that's the kind of preaching you ought to say amen to. You're not so sure about that. The best is yet to come. What about those? So, yeah, repent. Yeah, confess. Reconcile. Yes, take care of business, whatever you need to do. But he says, you've got to let go of the past. And he says, those people who have done something to you, they're controlling you until you forgive them. They are controlling you. Don't let them control you any longer. You've got to forgive them. And one of the scariest things that Jesus ever said was this. In the Lord's Prayer, we're to pray, forgive us, our, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. And then he goes on to say, if you don't forgive people's sins against you, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's a scary statement. All of life is response. As he has forgiven me, I'm to forgive. I was at a pastor's, Ruthie and I were at a pastor's retreat with two other pastors and their wives uh, two weeks ago. Those other guys have been deeply wounded by their churches, by people in their churches. And we took some time and we talked about that. And then one of the guys said this, I had to come to the point in my mind where I took my hands off the throat of that person who hurt me. And another guy said, I had to put them in God's hands and let God deal with them. That's forgiveness. I take my hands off of their throat. I put them in God's hands. And let God deal with them. And I'm free. I'm forgetting what has passed. I'm turning loose of it. And you say, well, Sam, that's easier said than done. And I totally agree. Here's what, uh, here's what one commentator wrote. Forgetting is not a passive loss of memory. No, it is an active, continuous discipline of the mind and heart. Although he did not actually forget the past, he emphatically chose to disregard it. He forcefully rejected it. He openly declared a non-observance of his past. So a thought comes into my mind from the past. Guilt, shame, anger, regret, hurt, whatever it is. There's a discipline. No, I will not allow that space in my mind. I will not give real estate to that thought. So what do you need to, what do you need to let go? What do you need to forget? It might take meeting with a group of trusted friends and talking it out. It might take seeing a Christian counselor but you've got to let go because you are controlled by whatever it is until you do let go. And Paul knows that. What do you need to move on from? And then he says, I'm straining toward that which is ahead. And he's just pushing his body to the point of exhaustion. How many of you have ever done a race? May I see your hands? 5K, 10K, walk around the block. When I turned 60, I said, I'm going to do a marathon. 
and uh, I trained. It was in Wynn, Arkansas, uh, and um, I, I pushed my body to the point I, I kept thinking, my brain, I've got a, my body has nothing left, but my brain does. And what happened? About mile 20, my son Charlie <laughs> came walking. He, caught, he, he, he was there waiting for me, and he had a boombox. Remember those? He had a boombox on his shoulder that was playing the Rocky theme. Da-da-da, da-da-da. Man, I picked up the pace. And then about two miles from the finish, 24, mile, mile 24, my daughter Corey comes out. Dad, I'm going to run with you. And by that time, I'm just stumbling. And she ran with me all the way in. So we don't, we don't run this race alone. And there's encouragement that we can give each other. And some of you, that's your race, to encourage those who are really uh, struggling. But I discovered I can go further than I think I can go. And then Paul says, here's the third thing. He says, I'm single-minded. I'm forgetting what the past. I'm reaching to the, the future. He says, I know it's a lifelong thing. And then he says, eyes on the finish line. Eyes on the finish line. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he's straining. He doesn't look to the right or the left because he doesn't wave to people along the way. Thousands of people in the stands, he's not waving to them. What distracts you? Paul says, I'm not going to give place to a distraction. I'm, I'm, I'm moving toward the finish line. That is my goal. And he said, what's the goal? What's the goal? Well, for, the race was to know Christ and to make him known. And the goal is actually seeing him and hearing those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I said that when the, they ran the race and, and they won the race, they would walk up on the stage and the Caesar or the king, who, the judge, would give them a crown of olive branches. And Paul says, I'm not looking for something that's perishable. I'm looking for something that Jesus himself will give me, a crown of glory, so I've got something to lay at his feet. He said, that's, that's the prize I'm, I'm looking for. And we get distracted, don't we? I love the story at the end of, the, at the end of John where Jesus and the disciples are sitting around the campfire and Jesus has just told Peter how he's going to die as a martyr. And Peter looks over at John and says, what about him? <laughs> I mean, is he your favorite? I get to die. What about him? You remember what Jesus said? Don't worry about him. You follow me. I'll do with him what I want to do with him. You follow me. And there's a John in everybody's life. Why does she get it easier? Why does he get to do those? No. Forget about them. You follow Jesus. You don't get distracted by others. And there's that prize. There's a direct correlation between how we live now and what happens to us in the afterlife. I'm not talking about salvation. We're loved. We're blessed. But there's a correlation between how we live now and what will happen in the afterlife. Jesus told a story about a master who was going on a trip, and he gave a, a one mina, which was a, a currency. He gave a mina to, to three different servants. And then the, the master came back. Welcome home, master. Glad you're here. Okay, let's have an accounting here. The first guy, I gave you one mina. What would you do with it? And he said, I've, I've been able to multiply. Here are ten minas. And he gives them back to the master, and the master says, 
well done, well done. You'll be in charge of 10 cities. And he looks at the second servant, I gave you, what, what happened? And the guy says, well, I, I got five minus to give back. And well done, I'm so proud of you. You'll be in charge of five cities. And the last servant says, well, I'm just not the risky type. I, I got, kind of got scared, and, and I just buried your mina, and here's your mina back. I hope that's okay. And Jesus says, take it away from him and give it to the one with ten. So what's the point? The point is how you live now matters. There's coming a day when the judge will show up, when Jesus himself will appear in glory as we sang. And you'll give an account like I will. And you're loved and you're blessed and you've been adopted. But some of us will have nothing to give back. When the question is asked, what did you do with what I gave you? Your gifts, your family, your work, your, what, what did you do with it? And Paul says, I don't want to be that guy with nothing to give back. I don't want to be that guy. I, I, I'm straining, I'm pushing because my eye is on the prize to hear the well done. And I know this is not a popular thing to talk about. But some of us may likely stand before the judge and have nothing to show. And right now in your heart, you can say, I don't want to be that guy. I may not be Mr. Ten, but I'm going to, I'm going to run my race. Paul says, this is what following Jesus is like. This is what motivates me to take up my cross and deny myself. So here's the question. Are you running the race for the prize? Are you running the race to win the prize? What has God put in your life? What is it given to you? What are you doing with that? Casual Christians are always looking for the minimum they can do. The goal is to avoid embarrassment before other Christians, other expectations that Christians have. Do I, can I tie it on the net rather than the gross? Do I have to serve? Is there a place where I can make a little contribution but it won't cost me anything? Is there something easy for me to do? And Paul in the last few verses, verse 15 and 16 says this, All of us then who are mature, perfect, already arrived, we think we've arrived, should take such a view of things that if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul says if you think you have arrived, you have not. If you think you're mature, one of the signs of being mature is you don't think you're mature. But if you think you've arrived and you've got no more progress to make, you've got nowhere else to go, it's a sign of immaturity. And Paul says, I'm not angry at you. Anybody ever get angry at immature people? Come on. What are you, what are you doing? Paul says, I'm not angry with you. God will show it to you. God will make this clear to you. I'm just going to keep teaching and I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep, keep serving. That's my job, be an example. So where do you need to mature? What area that you need to grow, because we're not at the end yet. We've got a ways to go, some of us. In the last line, he says, let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, if you dropped out somewhere in the race, get up. Get back in the race. It's not the end yet. The Lord is with you. He called you for a special purpose. If you fall behind, just keep going. Just keep moving. And don't look back at the glory days. You know where the glory days are for a Christian? They're ahead of us. Tempted to say the glory days for Fellowship Bible Church are ahead of us. 
They're not behind because the Lord is always doing something new and fresh. I know a pastor who at one time served as the chaplain for an NFL team. And he said he has his little devotional ready after the guys come out of a team meeting. And he started in, and one of the players interrupted him and said this. Maybe you don't understand, Pastor. We just came out of a team meeting with coaches and assistant coaches who showed films and cussed us out from one side to the other if we didn't throw our bodies into every play. They expect 110% effort on every play. And if the film shows we don't give it, our job is on the line. That's the commitment level demanded by the coaches. And they looked the pastor in the eye and he said, and that's just football. If I'm not mistaken, you're talking about eternal realities. Please, he said, challenge us to give every bit as much to our faith as we do to football. And Paul just says, I'm giving 110%. Eye on the goal, taking hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And, he, and because this is in the joy letter, you just have to say there's a joy in doing that that others may not understand. The same Apostle Paul wrote this, Brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I want to ask the worship team if you would come on up for just a moment. I'll tell you one more quick story that comes to mind while they're coming up. There was a boy out on a beach. The tide had gone out, and there were starfish scattered all around, just stranded there on the beach. And the boy was walking along and tossing out starfish after starfish. And a man walked up and said, um, you're not making much of a difference. And the boy said, I bet I do with this one. Throws him out. He's doing what he could. He's given all that he can. I've got a stress fracture. But I want to run the race. Paul is sitting in prison. But in his mind, he's running the race. He's fulfilling the purpose for which God laid hold of him. And I think his challenge is, you find out what your race is, and you arrange your life around doing that. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for laying hold of us the day we were saved. And that person who is here in this room and cannot give a faith story you're laying hold of them right now. You're reaching out to them. There's a tug in their heart that says, trust me, turn from your sins, claim me as your master, your Lord. And so we want to thank you that you have a role for each of us to play in your kingdom expanse. Whether it's a big role, small role, doesn't matter. It's your race. It's ours. So help us to run it with 110%, just desiring to be faithful. Help us to get back in the race, those of us who are not in it right now. And Lord, help us to run in such a way that we hear those words, I'm so proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those of us who will not hear that, 
still saved, still loved by you. But we don't want to be that guy with nothing to show. So use us, Lord, by your grace, by your power. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.